Hello everyone, welcome to Bantering the Blue Shirts. As always, I am Tom Merch Jr. Uh, and I'm joined by Mike Murphy. And I think I said a couple of words there backward, uh, but how's it going, Mike? Going well. Uh, you know, Thanksgiving, American Thanksgiving came and went. Black Friday came and went. Uh, still standing and uh, got to have a very responsible and safe Thanksgiving, which I was grateful for. And... Um, Still, I'm wondering why I don't eat stuffing every, pretty much every week. Why is it such a seasonal thing? But I do love me some crispy stuffing, Tom. So, for Thanksgiving dessert, are you a pie person? I'm not not a pie person. I just didn't grow up in a family that was big on pie. Gotcha. So, if you had your choice, though, which pie would you have had uh, if you didn't have one at Thanksgiving? Oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, to fit Thanksgiving, it's either apple or pumpkin. And frankly, I think pumpkins had too much time in the sun, so I'll go with apple. I'm a big apple pie fan, um, although like I've seen that pumpkin and sweet potato pie apparently are the two favorites for Thanksgiving. Um I don't know why that is, because apple pie is great on any occasion, but, you know, I'm just me. Yeah, I haven't done sweet potato pie, but apple pie is good enough that McDonald's bastardized it, so... Yeah, and they changed it. Like, they used to uh, deep fry them, but I feel like they stopped doing that with, like, less than two years ago, where now they bake them, although they have since added um, an apple fritter um, to the mix, which... You know, it's pretty damn good. Um, you know, calories be damned. But this who's counting anyway? I grew up in. Yeah. Can't deep fry our apple pies anymore. What sort of a country is this? Yeah. So yeah, we're we're talking about food and stuff, and uh, this is a hockey podcast. Um, so I figure now is as good a time as any to try and uh, right the ship, if you will. Um, so we're in that kind of weird time. Like we say it every so often, you know, it's like summer, but it's not summer. Although as we record this on December 1st, it was kind of unseasonably warm today. Um, but it then dipped down as the day is going on. Uh, but where we are is that the NHL wanted this season to start on January 1st, uh, so a month from today, but they don't have any sort of arrangement yet, um, partially because they kind of want to go back on the agreement they made with the players going back to return to play. They're looking for $300 million more million to uh, compensate for the whole no fans in the stands and the truing up of hockey-related revenue and escrow and, and all this nonsense. Um, it's not looking too promising, Mike. No, it's looking a little grim at this point. The fact that it's been radio silence between the PA and the league for over a week, really. Like, you know, I think, you know, I read a couple places that, like, it wasn't surprising that things went quiet over Thanksgiving, but... It is, you know, thinking about when the league had, you know, its projected start and where we are now. And, you know, you know, quite frankly, Gary Bettman and the league aren't really negotiating from a position of strength. Um, you know, the players know what the reality is here, but 
they had an agreement and uh it's it's going to be interesting to see just how much this tangles things up i think everyone knows we want hockey um both sides want there to be a season pretty much regardless of what it looks like just because you know the economic ramifications boils down to well something is better than nothing even if it means no fans and and all that the problem is as you know tom you and i've been talking about this for half a year now more than half a year now is it's just so incredibly difficult to predict where this pandemic is going to go and as our all of our listeners i'm sure know uh the numbers just keep getting worse this this is simply not being contained it's out of control and you know a lot of the projections the nhl may have made after wrapping up the playoffs uh you know when the lightning won the cup was we're looking in hindsight like you know i mean with with the gift of hindsight yeah it's a, a little ambitious to hope for a smooth transition to january 1st but you know that's the nature of the beast here it's really really goddamn hard to figure this all out and you know we in previous shows we had talked about how you know they're trying to think about things like you know temporary realignment and doing like a canadian division and all those things but we're not even like we're not even in the starting block here in terms of getting to the season like we need a we need dates and times we need a training camp like we need things to fall into place and if that doesn't happen soon like I said, it's starting to look pretty grim. One of the funniest things about this whole situation, um, and not so much that it's funny, and this is from the Toronto Star. It's under the subheading of neither side is happy. So it goes, Bettman sprung the MOU, Memorandum of Understanding, uh, on the Board of Governors, who unanimously endorsed it. It's believed some voted merely on Bettman's recommendation. Now, having subsequently read the Memorandum of Understanding after it passed, some are unhappy with it. So, the (laughs) owners, they don't read the Memorandum of Understanding. How is that possible? Like, you know... I'm not surprised because we, I just feel like we see so many stories these days with like rich people or, or people in business that like they make some decision and it's like, well, did you read the contract? And it's like, uh, me personally, no, that's what I have people for. Um, and like, if this was a case of like Gary Bettman sort of like, uh, you know, sneaking one by the owners, that would be kind of hilarious because obviously Batman gets the rep of, of being this guy that he's all he does is he's doing the bidding of the owners and you know always looking to turn the screws to the players. Um, but having said uh, read that, it kind of to me it's like well maybe this explains why the negotiations went relatively smoothly uh, to get return to play back underway um yeah but um yeah it's uh it's interesting because you would think that the um the league could figure this out and the other thing is i also kind of don't buy it so the the figure here it says it'll probably cost each team at least around 150 million all figures us to operate without fans for a season factoring payrolls travel costs team employees lead dues all that I think that's a number on the high end, uh, probably looking at, let's just take a number for like 
the Rangers or the Leafs or the Canadians, um, three of the um, richest teams, according, I think, to Forbes's list and and all of that, that fun stuff. Um, but it, it's to me, it's kind of simple. Um, the players really don't have to do anything. They they made the initial agreement, and I understand that. Yeah, you might have to make some tweaks to to get things worked out, but they're already deferring money. Um, the league wants them to defer more, and then it if they don't defer more money, then there's a shortfall on truing things up, which screws up escrow. Um, just a lot of financial mumbo jumbo that in any given year it's hard to you know wrap your arms around it but let alone we're looking at a potential partial season and a lot of it hinges on um if we can get fans in the stands at some point um so just kind of an update there and i i don't really think that there's much more to say about that we we've talked about this topic you know, for the past couple of shows in some form of detail, this week will obviously be crucial, like we've said in weeks prior, uh, to see if they can get to the bargaining table and just sort of talk, open up lines of communication. But what I did want to talk about next is uh, a league that does seem to have its head on straight, um, and then that's the NWHL, who announced that they're going to have, um, I don't know if I'd call it specifically a bubble because I don't know if it's going to be as locked down um, as Toronto and Edmonton were, but they're going to be having their season uh, in Lake Placid. Yeah, it's interesting because we had uh, Melissa Burgess of the Victory Press and Die by the Blade on the show uh, recently. And, you know, I kind of posed the question to her whether or not we could see the NWHL doing something like a bubble and she and I were both uh, skeptical and I still think kind of rightfully so just because of the nature of what player salaries look like, how players would become available, how do you do it and the solution that the NWHL came to is essentially to just kind of do a world championship wherein you have your six teams, each team plays uh, every other team once and then you have that as your regular season. Um, what's kind of peculiar, Tom, is that, you know, you have your six teams, and then what they're going to do is instead of just having the teams with the four best records, you know, and or, you know, the tiebreakers being goal differential or, you know, regulation wins or what have you, they're going to do a, a separate kind of uh, stage, like a, a little bit like the play-in for what the NHL did where it's all about determining seating. So the top four teams will play each other once more again, uh, meaning we're going to have more NWHL playoff games than ever before, actually. Um, and then from there you have your Isabel Cup fi- uh, semifinal and final, and the league has these one-game eliminations. But as you said, like some people are you know, pointing out, it's like it's not necessarily a true bubble, um, but, you know, it's a bubble for uh, all intents and purposes, meaning, you know, it's at a remote location. There's going to be testing. Um, you know, it's being done in a way that is, you know, obviously inspired by what the WNBA and uh, professional women's soccer have done, as well as the NHL and the other leagues that were wise enough to bubble up. And 
you know, it's the obstacle I saw and, and Melissa's, you know, kind of foresaw is how does a league that has to count its pennies, frankly, uh, pull something like this off? But it looks like they could do it. The thing that's kind of wacky is that this is going to be starting on January 25th and then it's all these games are going to take place across a two week span and in Lake Placid. So it's going to be this mad dash of of uh, professional women's hockey and um, I don't know it's going to be very different uh, and you know it, it just makes me think of you know how sloppy all of the NHL teams looked in the play-in and uh, you know the play-in series like it was like oh wow this was a uh, we really missed hockey but this is a little rocky so it'll be interesting to see how you know teams are already practicing now so that should help that in a, in a in a big way, but yeah, I can't believe it's going to happen, and it, it looks like all signs are pointing to it happen. I think at the moment, it's 95% of the players uh, who signed contracts will be playing. Um, players are getting paid their full salary, which is a great thing, and uh, if they opt out, they still get paid their full salary, so it is pretty big hockey news in, in terms of you know, we don't know for sure what's going to happen in the NHL, but the the professional women's side of things is on course to have a season. I, I still hesitate to call it a season because it feels more like a tournament, but it is technically a season. So I'm really excited about it. Um, I went to, and I tweeted about this, I went to Lake Placid in 2012. Uh, that's where the NCA held the Division Three uh, championships, so the semifinal and uh, final. Um, at that time, I was a student uh, at Oswego. Oswego made it to the, the final where they lost. Um, interestingly enough, and I, I didn't, realize the connection um until you know um my brother started going to norwich but a norwich university in vermont where he goes um that team they actually played oswego in the semifinal um and you know we beat them and uh one of the guys who uh was on on that team uh he's now uh a coach uh i think like a like a graduate assistant coach or she's a coach for norwich and um you know, he, he gives my brother shit about it, like, you know, like, oh, you know, your brother and his, you know, going Oswego, beating us. Um, but Lake Placid itself, the area is really nice. Um, obviously, they held the 1980 Winter Olympics there, Miracle on Ice. Um, when I went in 2012, I believe that the Herb Brooks Arena, um, which is where the, you know, the famous Miracle on Ice game was played, it was still... Um, mostly as it was. Um, if I'm remembering correctly, since that point, they've made some upgrades uh, to the arena in you know, terms of like you know seating and stuff like that. Um, but one of the things that I think will be beneficial for this is, you know, and I'm not sure the logistics of how it's going to work, but the sight lines are perfect for like broadcasting. So theoretically, if you're able to have the personnel, the equipment, and, and the infrastructure, you could stream these games, and they're they're going to look great. Um, I know that's been a complaint um, by you know people in you know the women's hockey community, the media, like some of the games that 
quality streams like from the international tournaments it's like the equivalent of watching like beer league games through i think it's like like rink cams or whatever um yeah, like a doorbell cam yeah exactly IHF. yeah it's i mean the it comes with the the reality of you're playing in smaller rinks right like you're playing in practice facilities of nhl teams and uh college hockey rinks and a lot of times that means these were ice surfaces and arenas that were not put together with the intention of broadcasting. For example, uh, last year, the Riveters in uh, the rink in Mammoth Junction, which they're no longer at, like they literally set up the broadcast camera in the bleachers, like among the fans. And like, that was just the nature of it. And you look at it and you're like, oh, geez, this is pretty rinky dink Mickey Mouse stuff. But it's the reality of operating on a pretty tight budget. But it's it is no fans um for the upcoming season in in lake placid and like you said uh, it's going to be a big deal uh that they stream the games and for those who are curious uh the nwhl streams all of its games for free on twitch so one way or another we'll have some hockey to watch hopefully hopefully if it's safe uh nhl hockey as well but we're not going to count uh count the chickens just yet yeah, so I, I think that's going to be cool, and um, obviously the teams that are going to participate in this, um, they're going to be wearing some, some really cool jerseys too. I know uh, yesterday was yeah. a couple of yeah, really a couple nice of them reveals. Are gorgeous. Yeah, a couple of them are absolutely gorgeous. I, I still, in season one, the NWHL did something really cool, which is every player had their uh, their country of origin. Their flag was on one of their shoulders. It was such a simple but cool thing, and every fan I've ever talked to, every member of the media, every player loved it, and they haven't come back since. That's like my only gripe with the jerseys is that, you know, they could have had the the grand slam instead of they they just had the the walk off home run with the jersey designs. The Minnesota home jersey is so amazing. Good. Um, it makes their their jersey they've had the last couple of years the their black uh, jersey because. Before this year, every team really just had one jersey. Uh, now that there's six teams, they're going to have home and aways. But um, I'm sure also it will help with merchandise sales without uh, without selling tickets that hopefully they're hoping their merch sales can offset some of the money they lost. But that Whitecaps home jersey uh, in the NWHL, the, the white jerseys are the home jerseys. Uh, if you haven't seen it, you should definitely check it out. It just... Teams need to take more chances, Tom, with creative design in hockey jerseys. Like, like we saw, we you know we got to talk a lot about like the retro, uh, reverse retros, and you saw some teams really take chances, and a lot of times that worked out. And sometimes, you know, just like they were kind of aping a chance they took a long time ago. Like the one that pops into my head immediately is the Canucks with that gradient thing, you know. And it's like, that was maybe creative and different, you know, 20 years ago. <laughs> it's, it's not it's not the same. So to see some kind of creative designs, especially the Whitecaps jersey, I really like the Riveters jersey too, is, uh, is really fun. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, like, the Riveters have always had good jerseys. And correct me if I'm wrong, um, but at some point, because I, I know that they, they had some sort of partnership with the devils and when they were playing in newark did at some point like was they changed 
the name only, or was it they had jerseys where the scheme sort of reflected that somewhat well, they, part? Yeah, they were the New York Riveters. Then they moved to the Prudential Center in Newark, uh, the Devil's Practice Facility, and they changed their jersey and adopted um, essentially Devil's colors. And they also um, became the Metropolitan Rivers and have been ever since, although... They have been in New Jersey ever ever since being in Brooklyn that first year. So um, they did do that. But what's cool is their their new road jersey uh, kind of is a throwback to what the the original jersey looked like, which, according to many Riveters fans, was the best of the bunch. So it's another fresh looking jersey. I like it. I think the Wales look is nice. I like the Buttes are doing something different, going with a black jersey and. Uh, yeah, it's fun. I mean, it, when you look at what the NWHL had for its jerseys, like I mean, they had a, they saw fewer pitches, but they seem to have a higher batting average than what we saw with the NHL reverse retros. Just as you and I, like you and I, I remember saying to you, like Tom, we're not going to walk through each and every one, and I'm pretty sure we did. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's fun. It's a, it's we can't have hockey right now, so you can tell it's we get excited about jerseys that we may or may not get to actually see on the ice but hey that's the that's the reality of shit yeah and i i think that you can all it, it's fun to experiment it's fun to change things around because i feel like when i was in college um like um, our our uniforms we had like our colors were um green white and yellow um and we would play like most of the team well, we were in the SUNYAC division, so um we played like teams in New York and we had some um in other divisions. But like one of the things all of the jerseys they it always felt like with the exception of a few teams, um, they just were like really plain and like I would think that if you're in the position of you're trying to get you know, your student body to, you know, buy stuff in the bookstore or, um, you know, just generate excitement, like little, little play around. Um, and like, that's one take of the things. Chances. Yeah. We need to see teams take chances with this stuff. Cause I'm sure a lot of teams where you're like, Oh, we don't want to look like a goddamn, you know, like NFL Europe team or an XFL team, mm-hmm. like with a really wacky Jersey. But like, you think about teams that go out on a limb a little bit and like you can still do stuff that is like the white cap jersey is such a strong example of yeah why hasn't anyone done something like that before it's it just and it's such a clean unique look and like it's not too over the top but it's different and like in some ways i was kind of let down by like i like the kraken's logo but their jersey to me i was just like eh you know i want or at least a mock-up I've seen, I should say. But, like, I I want so badly for us to see fun designs in the NHL that are not just like, oh, these are the jerseys they're going to wear, you know, five or four home games out of the year. But anyway, enough jersey talk. (laughs) Yeah, enough jersey talk um, and, you know, enough talk. uh, i got to have a debate with you, Thomas. Yes, we are going to have a debate, um, but... Now is a good time to uh, help pay some bills, and we'll take an ad break, and we will be right back.
just like that, we're back from the break. Um, we wanted to end the show with like a little fun discussion that sort of branched. Fun. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I'm here for blood. It's it's a branch off of the reverse retro conversation, um, basically because when they were being teased, um, and I'll admit, you know, I bought in, into the hype a little bit, um, it kind of looked like maybe they were teasing that Mika Zibanejad was going to be the captain because you had the flowy hair, but then as we all know, it was just the model um, that they used, and it wasn't him, so... Uh, there's been a lot of talk, obviously. Um, the Rangers have not had um, a captain um, since uh, Ryan McDonough was traded. And you kind of think by now, maybe they would have one. Um, and there seems to be a couple of opinions out there. And two of which um, I think are the most popular. One involving uh, Mika Zibanejad and one involving um, Chris Kreider. Um, so... I'm going to let Mike start this, uh, and then I will give my opinion, and then we'll be able to uh, rebut back and forth. I actually wanted to ask you really quick, just in your opinion, I think this is pretty strictly a two-horse race. Do you yeah. think there's there's any other horse in this race? Like, Do you think Truba is a dark horse for this, or, or like Panarin? I, I just don't see it. No, I, I think it's firmly a, a two-horse race. Um and one of which I think would make sense for two reasons, um, which I'll obviously get into um, when it's my turn. I, I was just curious about, like, you know, to kind of walk people into this. I, I I wrote something on the banter about this where I was kind of breaking down why the Rangers had two very strong candidates for captain in Zibanejad and Kreider. But um, as those of you know, like, I would like Mika Zibanejad to be the captain. I think he's a really exceptional player. He's an incredibly valuable player to the team. Um, I think he's an incredibly thoughtful guy, a smart guy, uh, a guy who seems to be someone who can kind of be the solar system in, in the locker room. And I'll, I will concede all of those points to you, Tom. You won't even have to debate those things to me. But here's the thing. Chris Kreider is locked up. Chris Kreider's a homegrown ranger. Chris Kreider's an American ranger. And we all know that this organization kind of likes their American captains. The other thing that is more important to me is that he is like kind of demonstrated as a young, you know, you know, he's now a veteran. I, I think we can safely say now that he's on the cusp of 30. But like this is a guy who we, we saw take Pavel Buchnevich under his wing and really work with Pavel Buchnevich and you like you think of Buch walking past the the cameras where was what was the time where he was like number four number whatever were like in terms of the NHL trade board and like mm -hmm. you know him him telling Buch like to shut up and put his fingers down but you see all those little things and you also know that this is a guy who like commands not just the respect of his teammates in the locker room but he's widely respected around the league for his dedication uh, to the game, like his dedication to like his Chris Kreider is talked about in, as if he's like this Adonis that is carved out of marble in terms of how unbelievable his strength and conditioning is. Like that doesn't mean you're a good captain that you have, you know, a really low BMI and you're in tremendous shape, but it does speak to how dedicated you are. And I think, 
the coaching staff and the front office likes all of those things a lot. They like that guy who, when he's not saying things to the other guys in the locker room, he's doing the things where you're like, oh shit, maybe I need to do this. Or look at look at what Krides is doing. Um, he also has that affability um, that makes him a relatable guy, which, you know, like you, we saw unforgettable celebrations with Zuccarello and everything, but in some ways that might kind of count as a strike against him. But it feels like he he kind of became, at least to me, like there's a different sensibility about him after the, you know, the big yard sale of everyone, uh, Zuccarello included, where he kind of just put his nose to the grindstone and just worked his ass off. And like, it, it's obvious that Zibanejad's the better player, but, and, you know, he's more important to the, you know, present and future success of the team. But I think Kreider is the the intangible guy that the coaches like. And to me, the, what's more important is I think he serves as a valuable bridge between, you know, he's a guy who was in New York when this team was a contender, when this team was a team that went deep playoff runs. And Zibanejad was just kind of here for the tail end of that. That plus, like, the, the mentorship he's demonstrated... And I think something that doesn't get talked about enough is that Chris Kreider is humble and engaging and fantastic with the media. Like, truly among the best guys on the team. Like, Ryan Strom stands out to me as a guy who's great to the media. But Chris Kreider, like, in every end of the season post-mortem, you know, when guys head off for, for the offseason, Kreider has always blown me away with how he speaks about his game, where the team is. Like, even when he was a younger guy. He's a guy who just seemed kind of wise beyond his years. And when you're in a market like New York, that sort of thing matters, that you can kind of speak eloquently and speak to what's going on in the locker room and, you know, what you expect of yourself and of your teammates and and the team. And, you know, there's some common ground there with him and David Quinn as well. There's a lot of little things that make it feel like, yeah, it kind of should be Chris Kreider. And that's kind of where I'm leaning right now. Like I said, I'd like me because of Benjed. I'd like him to be the captain. But I think it should be Chris Kreider. So here's why it shouldn't be Chris Kreider. Um, number one, you, you bring up the point that he's locked in. That I understand that. But when I look at Chris Kreider, I look at that contract, and I look at what it's going to turn into. Um, the first thing I think of is a former Rangers captain and current uh, assistant general manager, Chris Drury. Uh, Chris Drury, obviously, um, great NHL player. Um, he has the Sabres great. Yep. Well, and also the heroics of, you know, in the playoffs when he was kind of like a role player with the uh, the Colorado Avalanche. Um, yeah, the up-and-coming guy. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he signs the big deal with the Rangers. Um, and, you know, God bless him. He gets the money that he could. Um, but it was a deal that from the moment it was signed, everyone's side-eyeing. Um, it's like, really? Like... Like okay, we can kind of understand why the Rangers gave that money to Scott Gomez because he's more of a skilled player. Yeah. Um, he fits a need for them, but like Chris Jury is this guy who really had a couple of career years um, playing on a talented Buffalo Sabres team. Not to say that he was simply a passenger, but 
that that team had some other uh, other players who um, you know helped Drury, Drury do some things. And I feel like if you give the captaincy to Kreider, you're going to have this situation where you have a guy that is going to be overpaid really soon um, in the hierarchy of this team. He's going to be a third liner before you know it because you have Panarin, you have Lafreniere. Um, so unless he's switching positions to, to right wing, which the Rangers have tried that on a few occasions, and he's never really seemed to like it. Um, and it's been this, they've, oh, we can move him to the right, move him to the right, but it just never sticks. So, that, so that's number one. Um, you're going to have... The pressure of the captaincy, you're going to have him being overpaid. And I just wonder if that's something that, like we've seen with other players, other captains, that's going to create uh, contempt with the fan base. Now, the difference here is that previous contempt for, for captains, like obviously Jury was brought in, while um, McDonough never played an NHL game uh prior to joining the Rangers, he was still acquired. He wasn't, you know, drafted, wasn't homegrown. Um, so he was still someone that wasn't, uh, it, it was it was a little bit different, although it really doesn't make sense to me because he came up through Hartford um, and then obviously made it in New York. Um, so you have, you have that. Um, and I just think that if you pick Zabanajad, you're covering your bases whether he's here for two more years or he's here for more than two years. Because if he's only here for two more years, he's the captain this year, he's the captain next year, um, and then if, if ultimately they decide not to re-sign him, if they decide to trade him, uh, it's a guy that he obviously deserves it. He's become the face of the team. He's one of their most promoted players um, you can see it through their social media. They do all these things where they're putting him front and center, using him as a mouthpiece, um, promoting things. So it seems like in that regard, um, he's well-adjusted, he's well-spoken, and he can handle that part of the job. Um, I think that the fact that the Rangers have not really had a lot of Europeans in leadership roles, um, you could have... Zibanejad break the mold there. Obviously, the makeup of the team, you have a lot of different players from across the globe. Um, so having someone that's more representative of the makeup of the team would be cool. Um, and then, like I said, if he's only here for two years, that then allows the team to have options if they feel that... There is captain potential in some of their younger players, whether it be an Adam Fox, whether it be a Capo Caco, whether it be an Alexis Lafreniere, that at that point in time, okay, we had a captain, they're gone. Then it, it creates this sort of natural time of, well, we're not going to replace someone right away. We're going to maybe wait a year or two. And at that point, one of those younger players is older, matured, and ready to step into that role, and then the team puts their stamp on them. And this is our leader, our young player who's going to be with us for hopefully the next decade and beyond. With Kreider, theoretically you could do that, 
but you want a situation where he's your your captain, things go sour, he's not playing as much, um, and then they trade him, and then it's like, well, now we're, you know, we're picking another captain, where in Zibanejad's case, it's more transactional, like, hey, you know, we weren't able to resign him, or he was looking for too much money, and we decided to go in in another direction type of thing. Um, but that's just how I look at it. I think you can mm. cover both bases where you're really, you're really, if you ch- pick Kreider, you're hitching your wagon to that guy, and then you're maybe boxing out some other leaders in the organization. That's a fair point. I do think there. I feel like there is something to be said about that, but I think in some ways that also kind of works in Cry's favor. I also think that if anyone could kind of handle the, oh, you know, Chris, you know, you're on the third line and uh, whatever. Like the Rangers haven't shied away from having guys in leadership roles that, you know, mostly we've seen them be, you know, alternate captains, but. I don't think that is something that would make the Rangers kind of balk and be like, oh shit, we have two better left wingers than Chris Kreider. Um, I don't, I also think it, it would be pretty shocking to see him, like to see his, to see his contract come under the same kind of criticism as Drury's. Uh, You know, it's kind of circumstantial in that the Rangers have those other left wingers. But the thing that stands out to me is the Rangers don't give out the C lightly, which is why we've had this gap uh, since Ryan McDonough left the team. And, you know, part of that is because the guys who, you know, you trace the the dots back, you know, before McDonough, you had Callahan. Before Callahan, you had Yager. And then you had Messier. And then Leach, then Messier, right? So, like, that is a pretty exceptional chain um and to be the next link in that chain is a big deal and i think we're seeing that you know that that next link in the chain start to be forged here and i feel like it is obviously this two-horse race but i mean the other option here is that it just doesn't happen this year yet and that might be because they're curious about whether or not these kids could be someone might step up from that group but you know, there are a couple things to keep in mind. For instance, like, you know, just because a guy is signed for seven years, that doesn't mean he'll be here for seven years. Also, you know, we've seen teams take away the captaincy from players in the past. I'm not saying it's a good thing, and in New York it would be an absolute media circus, but I look at how much more you'd have to probably pay Zibanejad if you put the C on his jersey, and you might be pricing him out of New York, uh, which is something maybe to keep in mind. But I... I, I agree with a lot of your points. I still think you're wrong. <laughs> I think the it's fine. The guy, the guy who it should be, I think is Kreider. But I, the guy I want it to be is as a writer and as a fan is Zibanejad. I think that's the better story, because like the thing you said that really had me nodding my head was, yeah, like I, the idea of him being you know a Swedish Iranian player and you know other than Yager, it's, there's no other European captain of this team, and he kind of represents the team. Furthermore, he's a younger guy, and Kreider's a little further down the road, and, you know, there is this sense that, like, 
the team has been kind of moving in the right direction since that's a Benajad trade, right? Like that was kind of the big thing we all point to of like, oh yeah, they got younger for once and they got also somehow got better in the same stroke. But yeah, I, I, I feel like you have a lot of strong points, Tom. I just feel like my, my gut tells me they'll pick Kreider and like thinking of it from the intangibles, the leadership stuff, the things he's demonstrated. I think Mika's pretty soft-spoken. I think he's also very good with the media and very bright. But um, I think Kreider brings a lot of those things that like front offices and coaches just absolutely fucking love. Um, and, you know, there's there's might be some question about whether or not Zibanejad has as many of those leadership qualities, which... You know, uh, who's to say? I think the guys in the locker room know better than anyone, but both of them were alternate captains last year. But the fact of the matter is the Rangers lost Henrik Lundqvist, who was, you know, as we know, kind of the de facto captain. They lost Mark Stahl. They lost Jesper Faust. It's a lot of leadership out the window. So, I mean, I think we'll see Jacob Truba wearing an A and... Kreider or Zib wearing an A and then the other whichever one doesn't have an A will have a C it'll be very interesting to see how it shakes out because really it's it it will I mean it's not to read too much into it because I know a lot of people are like who the fuck cares I'm sure a lot of our listeners are like they're going on, <laughs> yeah. and on about this right but it does kind of you think about it from marketing you think about it from team identity like what direction the team wants to go in. And like you said, it feels like the Rangers have really been putting Zibanejad in a spotlight, even before like the five goal game and all the, like the sexy stats and everything. Like they really like me because of Benajad. The thing is, I think they also deeply love Chris Kreider. You talk about marketing. I, th- I think the Zibanejad's the better mar- marketing play, I think. But, well, yeah, yeah. but, if if we're being 100% completely honest, in their heart of hearts, I think that they would love if the next time that the Rangers are hoisting the Stanley Cup, it's, it's Alexis Lafreniere getting it first. The first overall pick, first time in franchise history, um, being this symbolic of the team decided to rebuild get younger they were rewarded with a number one overall pick and here he is hoisting the ultimate prize is as a stamp of they did things the right way and uh it paid off that i think like if if you're trying to write like a hollywood ending for this rebuild i think that's what they picture like here's the guy that we got number one overall um mostly because of luck but in part because they decided we are going to rebuild. We are trading some players away. We're not going to be um, really that good. And um, like that would be like a tremendous story. And it would kind of be in the, the context of the modern NHL. I think it would be kind of cool that it's like here is this storied franchise that they haven't won since 1994. Before that, they hadn't won since 1940. Um, here's them making new history as a franchise. And if all goes well, they're going to contend for a number of years. Um, but I don't know if you get that necessarily if you make Chris Kreider your captain. But who knows? It, I could I mean, be it's, wrong. It's a very, very fair point. The, the final thing I'll say is that the Rangers have 
a ton of ties to USA Hockey and Team mm-hmm. USA, and Chris Kreider is t- like a Team USA boy. And I think, like it is, you look back at the like the chain. You think of Leach, you think of Callahan, you think of McDonough. In terms of recent captains, you think of like how marketable those guys are. And Chris Kreider has been a fan favorite for a long time. Um, he's also been a darling of the media in terms of interviews for for a long time. And yeah, there's a lot of the thing is like if if we're putting like little chips, like or like little poker chips into your pile and my pile for all the good reasons, it's kind of even. Like it's it, it's a toss up, right? But I don't want to see them do a co-captain thing, like uh, not to bring up Chris Drury again, but like Drury and Briere and Bob, yeah, remember that. <laughs> Like that to me is just like the worst. Like just just have one. Just make it. Don't have a guy who's captain on the road and captain at home. That's. Did Carolina do that recently? Like co-captains? I feel like. Did they? I feel like they had co-captains in the within like the last five years. I kind of feel like I might I may be misremembering, but I feel like there was a team after the Eric Stahl trade. Maybe. Yeah, it might have been before. I'm try. I don't remember the, the exact timeline of them and when Justin Williams came back to Carolina. Might have been they did that. Then Justin Williams came back. Then he was the captain. And then when he went on his retirement, um, then I think Jordan Stahl became the captain. But I may be wrong about that. Someone will probably correct me. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know. I'd be curious to see what most fans think. Um, I think most people are pulling for is a bandage ad and I get it I just the thing I'll say to people is don't be surprised if it's Kreider yeah but I think you hit the nail on the head that this is just it's a fun talking point for us but obviously the players know who the true leaders are and you don't need a letter to be a leader um so we'll see I thought it was uh, a little interesting topic people will Make sure to tell us who you think uh, won. Um, yeah, they'll say that I won the debate, um, and then we'll move on. Yeah, I know. Just like what the Marvel draft and the uh, the Duck draft. Oh wait, that went a little different. I than that. won the Marvel draft. You won the Duck drafts, but you also broke every goddamn rule. You had like a fucking goalie playing defense. You goddamn, you're goddamn madman. I'll give you forwards playing D and vice versa, but goalies playing defense. Huh? was mere suggestions it you know no concrete rules were established i mean i was creative you we... it was not in the spirit of of things and you know it maybe maybe not <laughs> who's to say i can imagine that you having the smuggest shittiest look on your face right now maybe perhaps <laughs> i do i was shitting and grin on and i'm not afraid to admit it I, but I also do readily admit that you won that, even though I thought I had it in the bag when I got to take Julie the Cat Gaffney. I was like, oh, this is over. He's stuck with fucking Goldberg. I lulled you into a false sense of security. You did. And it's like, like uh, in Yu-Gi-Oh, it's like, oh, oh you've activated my trap card. I also think, to be honest, I think you... I did a poor job of of explaining why Kreider is the better choice, I think. I, like, I don't I think, think you did a bad... You hit on all the points of like why I feel like it sh- like it ought to be Zabinajad. I want it to be Zabinajad because it's the better story. I just think Kreider is the he's like the safe play. You know what I mean? And that's kind of what it oh, boils yeah. down to us. And Kreider is the what I would expect the Rangers to do. 
Uh, Ben and Jad's what I hope the Rangers will do. Yeah, we will certainly see. Um, I think uh, if they're this one, and it makes me sick. Well, no, I was saying we'll think. I would think they would want to have like. I would have thought they would have had a decision by now, considering that. Um, the reverse retro jerseys went up for sale, but maybe this is their way of even making more money because you have the yeah. initial release Milk go that out. Cow dry. Yeah, and then oh, we've named a captain. Be sure to get your reverse retro jersey with the appropriate letters. Um, but before uh, our read our uh, our lovely patrons who uh, support the show, I have a quarter on my desk, and like you know, for the longest time, like. Obviously, they had the uh, the state quarters, and you had the little booklets, and they released them by years. Yeah. So now, for 2020, there is a National Park quarter, and I'll take a picture of this, and I'll send it to you, and I'll probably tweet it out. There's two bats on it, and I think that's awesome. Two bats on it? Like, there's one bat that's sort of hanging upside down, and then there's a bat right side up, and they're kind of looking at each other, and... I don't know if it's like a mama bat and a baby bat, although now that I look at it, I think that's what it is. Um, but I, I thought that was kind of cool. And it's a shine, really shiny quarter, so I wonder if like this was just put into circulation. Because um, the reason I'm bringing this up is like I, whenever I get uh, loose change, like whether it's you know getting my coffee in the morning, whatever, I literally just throw it into like my door jam, and then. Every so often, I'll it'll get really full, and if I close the door, it'll spill over. I get a big Ziploc <laughs> bag, and then I I fill it up. So like, I have a bag on my desk, and like, this is hear it. that's all the coins. Um, so There's yeah, a coin shortage in this country, Tom, and you're hoarding them. Well, to be fair, when I have the opportunity to give coins i do like if it's oh that'll be 363 i'll go okay hold on one second like all right there's one there's You're two i need a nickel all right do i got any dimes or do i got any and that's like up oh, here you go an old man do you have a coin purse i hope you have a coin purse so i do have like a little ziploc baggy thing uh it's not you like put on a pair of bifocals when you count out the coins I don't, although I did go to the eye doctor today, and uh, I got to get new glasses because my uh, my astigmatism changed, and uh, it's not... Son of a bitch. So it's like, I was looking at it, and she's like, uh, my doctor, she's like, well, you're confusing P's and F's, and I'm like, let me put this like lens on, and now try to read the letters again, and I'm like, oh, wow. That is a lot better, and she's like, "Yeah, so it's just a, it's a little slight change, um, but here I am rambling." But it's uh, terrible. I know I'm terrible. My eyes are host. perfect. So I'm I'm glad to say I can well, see through walls. Well, that's great. Like I mean, and I had to get my eyes dilated today, which is kind of one of the um, it's the weirdest experiences because you can see big things but when you try to like read or look close up it's uh like if you've ever had um like like water on your sunglasses or where it's you can still but it's just a really weird sensation it's like i Mm. i i i don't recommend it uh it's kind of like it can kind of freak you out um but it does serve a purpose because and they're able to take pictures of your eyes and you know if you have any uh you know, bad things um, they can point out for you and give you corrective lenses, and so you uh, 
can see everything that you're supposed to see. That's science, bitch. It is science. And uh, I'm able to ramble on like this uh, because of people like our our great patrons who continue to support us month after month. Uh, And these individuals include A Six Foot Gap, Adam Nahoek, Aiden Gaspar, Amriel Kistner, Andre Chikagov, Andy White, Anthony Viola, Beezer, Ben Pierney, Bjarner Osterheim, Bob Kawa, Bobby Callahan, Captain America, Chris Habibi, Chris Lucas, Chris Marco Trigiano, Clark Carroll, Daniel Dezen, Frank Menino, George Lippman, Igor Zavlasi, Jamie Bussell, Jason Silverman, Jeff Owen, Jermaine Francis, John Prezipelski, John Reppy, Jordan Sassone, Justin Walls, Keith Franchillo, Kevin Mead, Kushtastic, Kyle Napolitano, Matt Bader, Matt Pumple, Matthias Olson, Michael Kennick, Michael Marcus, Michael Silvers, Nikolai Hoffman, Panarin2020, Patrick Landholt, Perennial Powerhouse, Sammy Vogel-Seidenberg, Sean, Stieg Bjalbeck, Stink Flamen, Tall Guy Rob, the Tin Man, Tori from Manhattan, and Trevor Kepner. Uh, thank you again, everyone, for your support. Um, as always, we understand times are tough. We understand it's the holiday season. Um, if at any point you got to drop off, adjust your contribution. We totally understand. Um, we appreciate your support of the podcast, your support of the site. Um, we will try to continue, you know, podcasting on a regular break, a basis. Uh, we were off last week, um, you know, for the holiday and just not much going on. Um, like we've said to you, we're going to try and have some more guests on. Um, and, uh, if there are things that you'd like us to talk about, um, sort of how we had that mini little debate over who the next captain should be, let us know, um, this show is as much yours as it is ours, and we try to uh, incorporate your suggestions uh, as much as we can. Yeah, don't be shy to reach out, and hope everyone had a healthy and safe and delicious Thanksgiving, and I mean, here we are, December. Are we going to have hockey again, Tom? I hope. I hope we well, have some hockey soon. Maybe we know something for next show. Thanks, yeah. everybody. I appreciate you, Mike. I appreciate our listeners, and uh, I'll talk to you again soon. Be well. Bye-bye.